Have you ever wondered what happened on the first ever Rosh Hashanah? 5,782 years ago. Well, that was the day that the first ever human beings, Adam and Eve, were created. And if you trace it back, Rosh Hashanah links back to the creation of the world as we know it, to those six days of creation. And one of the things that makes creation so unique is the mechanics of how the world came to be. See, if you compare it to nowadays, every new creation we have nowadays is made out of things. Every house, food, car, iPhone, every tangible object we can think of, if you boil it down, it's really just stuff that's made out of more stuff. And that stuff is made out of even smaller stuff and even smaller stuff before that. Everything we have can be traced back just the things on this earth, pre-existing things. But the original creation that God created in the six days of creation was different. It's what we call creation ex nihilo, the idea of creating something out of nothing. Let me explain. Before the world came to be, there was nothing. Literally nothing. Not an empty universe, nothing. Just some idea we can't even wrap our head around. Nothing existed before it. And then Hashem took this nothing and he created out of it something. Something that hadn't been there before. You think about it, right? A person, a human being, can be defined by so many things. We're made up of our habits, our influences, our teachers, our parents, our fears, our achievements, our jobs, our responsibilities, our families. It can be so hard to find out what a person really is, who they are at their core, who they are as an, as an individual, their real essence. And all the more so, it can be so hard to add to that, to re-establish oneself, to create a new upon a person, to create new goals, new achievements. We set these new goals and we can feel that they're above our current capabilities. We'll set these new targets and feel that we haven't got the ability to access them. And sometimes it feels that we need something outside of ourselves, an extra help, an extra helping hand. But what we really need is to create our very own creation ex nihilo, to generate this brand new something out of nothing for ourselves. See, in Judaism, we don't believe in coincidences. What happened on Rosh Hashanah almost six millennia ago didn't happen in isolation. All the more so, we believe that every single day in the Jewish year and the calendar year has unique powers that we have the access to tap into if we try hard enough. And the unique powers that happened on the first ever Rosh Hashanah are the same powers that come again year after year after year on the first of Tishrei, on the start of the Jewish year. This ability to create something anew. The very first Rosh Hashanah, Hashem created the world out of nothing. And every single Rosh Hashanah that comes after that, we human beings have the ability to act something brand new. We can tap into and gain that potential, that extra strength that we didn't have before to overcome the hurdles that we just couldn't scale. See, these days coming up are very, very holy. And the start of the year is always a great time to make New Year's resolutions, new goals, new heights, new things that we expect from ourselves that we want to achieve. And if we understand that this isn't just a day for reflection, but a day where Hashem is literally reaching out, giving us a helping hand. I want He wants to help us to reach these new goals to become better versions of ourselves. How amazing could our Rosh be? And that's my bracha to every single listener. Now, Rosh Hashanah, we have the ability, the opportunity that in Rosh Hashanah we can rise and grow as Jews. We can have the most amazing Rosh Hashanah possible and then take that and inject it into the upcoming year so we can take the upcoming year onto the next level. Perhaps it's no coincidence that out of the six days of creation, we choose the sixth day as our Rosh Hashanah. The first five days don't have significant counterparts in our Jewish calendar. Because what happened on day six? Day six was the creation of man and woman themselves. 
Hashem didn't create the world just to have some pretty trees and plants. Hashem created the world for our benefit, for our choices, for our growth. And if we're aware of that, then we can have an even greater Rosh Hashanah. Shana Tova. Have a happy, healthy and sweet new year. Hello everybody, so Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's all in the air again, it's coming up and it's this time of year where people start to think about heading to shul, praying, banging their chest, talking about all the things that they regret or think they're meant to say that they regret doing, um, fasting and now during the month of Elul is the time where people start to think about this, this time. And for some, it invokes a sense of uh, irritation. It's like a, this kind of, it's just a, a hurdle we have to jump over. For other people, it induces a sense of fear, a fear of, um, you know, having to solicit God and get his, trying to get his approval and to feel a bit guilty and maybe even to feel some level of fear and trepidation. Um, the question is, are we meant to feel that way? Are we meant to feel as if there's any reason that God should in any way disapprove of us or be angry with us in any way or feel in any way punishing or, or, or that kind of thing? There's an amazing story of a very young girl, eight-year-old girl, convinced that God was angry with her. And she spoke to a rabbi and the rabbi said, God is angry with you? I'm so jealous. And the girl said, jealous why are you jealous and he said you can make god angry how did you become so important and the problem was over after that because suddenly the girl realized hold on a second if i can make god angry that doesn't mean i'm a nothing i'm a that means i really matter to god and that sounds quite personal quite vulnerable quite intimate so I think we've got the whole concept of fear of God and how we're meant to approach our relationship with God and sin and messing up completely wrong. Go all the way back to the very beginning. The very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you are creator, that means you have a need to fulfill. You do something, you create because you have a need, because there's something that you want to set out to achieve. If I create a table, it's because I need the table. I need something to rest all my, my books on. And therefore, if God creates us, if he creates a world, he creates us because he has a need for it. Why he needs us, we can, we can only speculate. But we've got it all wrong in thinking, no, no, God doesn't need anything. It's all for our benefit. If it's all for our benefit, we didn't ask for us. We didn't need it. And... If that were the case also, then why would there be all these demands on us? And also, why would God seem to be getting so angry or so um, or, what, or loving or whatever the kind of emotions are that he has? He's, he seems to be very affected by, by what we do and, and responds very personally to our actions. It seems that there's a very personal, uh, intimate uh, drive that's pushing God's creation of the world and, and, and creation of us. And it's a desire for oneness to be to, to no longer just be a yachid to be on his own which is what he was before there was any creation and instead by creating humanity um, to have a relationship with us to desire a relationship with us so we can become echad so we can all become one with him 
And so when you understand it from that perspective, that actually we're here because we're here to fulfill a need of God's, that God desires a relationship with us, suddenly the question of neediness and who has to, you know, be uh, begging who, and who is the, the, the needy one, actually almost flips. We think we're the needy one and we have to grovel towards God, but actually God has an infinite divine need for us because without us he is alone and for some divine reason that was not acceptable to him in fact the first thing the Torah tells us is not good is it's not good to be alone we have been created with imposed needs but actually before we were here we weren't complaining Um, and we're only here because we're serving here we're here to serve his need to serve him and so when you look at it from that perspective actually we are needed by him and his need is far deeper and far greater and actually the, the deepest human need of all actually more than being loved and being respected is to be needed and so we're here because god deeply desires and craves a relationship with us and that's why he has all these kind the torah is full of emotions where god gets he's happy with us he's upset with us because he cares about us and because he actually needs us and there's a, there's a real relationship here. So in the times of the prophets, you know, two and a half thousand years ago, where we had a temple and there are prophets everywhere and you had a king and all the Jewish people were living in the land of Israel and we all had this, you know, this uh, national unity and inspiration. Yes, I can imagine that if someone did a sin then, then it would make sense that God would be upset and angry. But the Jewish people have been homeless for 2,000 years. It's been 3,300 years since we last heard from God at Mount Sinai. And we've faced a terrible, extremely difficult uphill battle for the last 2,000 years throughout our history. So to think that today, if a Jew doesn't keep a mitzvah or sins, that God is in any way angry with us after all he's put us through for whatever divine reason he had for doing that. But if, if he, you to think he's angry with us, then that would make him a monster. Not possible. It's not possible. And there's plenty of Torah sources actually to back this up in, in, in that speak about what how, how, how even God felt and the Jewish people felt in the aftermath of the temple's destruction and the Jewish people's dispersion. It's not possible. If we sin today... If we don't do something, if we don't keep that mitzvah or that, God is not angry with us. He can't be. The only one he's angry with is himself. In fact, the Gemara, the Talmud says in um, Tractate Sukkah, Duff, page 52, just showing off my knowledge there, um, it says that God every day regrets creating the exile, creating the evil incarnation, uh, the things that cause us distance from him. Those things that he created are the reason why we're distanced from him. So God blames himself. And yes, when things would, less, let's say, be so obvious to us in the times of miracles, yes, it would make more sense that he might get more upset. But today, if a Jew does a single mitzvah, if a Jew knows that there's a mitzvah, if a Jew just identifies as being Jewish, that is incredible. God is marvelling at the Jewish people today. 
that we're still here, that we're still committed after everything that he's put us through. So what are we meant to feel on, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Certainly no fear of divine anger or wrath or punishment or guilt. Certainly not. Because that would be, in many ways, a Chilol Hashem. That would desecrate God's name, desecrate who God is. And yet we are still meant to feel fear. There is a word for fear, but what does that fear mean? What would that fear look like? Fear that God's going to punish you? That there's going to be some kind of uh, lightning bolt from the sky if you do something wrong? That's, that's actually just fear of lightning bolts. That's not fear of God. <laughs> fear now, for us today, for a Jew in exile, is realizing that God still has a need for us. That after all this time, he's still here waiting for us to turn to him, not out of anger or spite, but out of vulnerability. And he still depends on us to reach out to him. A response to that kind of love is that it scares you. It's the fact that you can make, that you can move God, so to speak. Bring him to tears. That you can, that you can affect him, that, that you can make him happy, that you can move him, that, that, that you can, that he's, he's desiring a relationship with you and he's waiting every single day for you in vulnerability. That's actually scary, <laughs> but it's good scary. Can love be scary? Yes, it can be scary. The fact that you can mean so much to someone else and someone else can mean so much to you, that's a scary place to be, but it's a beautiful place to be. And therefore, when we talk about on Rosh Hashanah, about this idea of, or in, during Elul, the king is in the field. There's this concept that God is out there, so to speak, among us, as a king would be going out to speak to all its citizens to say, or subjects, to say, please, can I invite you into my palace for my inauguration? Because I need you to inaugurate me as king. That is exactly what's going on here. We're not meant to feel as if we need to knock on the door of the palace. No, no, no. It's the other way around. The king is out in the field and he's saying, I desperately want you to come and to feel invited into my palace, into my home. So enough with the guilt, enough with the sense of divine wrath and punishment. That's not what it should be about today. That's not even what God wants us to, th to think or relate to him. That's not how he wants us to relate to him. Rather, it's just to understand that he wants us to feel invited and needed by him. So something to think about, something that I'm trying to internalise over the coming days and weeks as we approach Rosh Hashanah. But I think it's a really important message. God is waiting for us. And it doesn't have to be through a negative fear, a fear of punishment or judgment or guilt. It's an open invitation.
So unlike secular New Year's, the Jewish New Year isn't a time for partying and celebration, I'm afraid. It's a time for moral growth, connecting to God and introspection. The Jewish New Year is even referred to as the Day of Judgment, because Jews believe on this day God judges each individual and determines what kind of year they're going to have based on what God thinks they need. So it's a very serious day. But what's interesting is that just nine days after Rosh Hashanah is another Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Repentance. This is the day when we look inwards and reflect on how we can improve ourselves and then ask God to make sure that whatever he determined for us on Rosh Hashanah will mean we have a great year ahead. Yom Kippur is an opportunity for us to adjust what God decided on Rosh Hashanah. But the more you think about this, the more a question becomes glaringly obvious. Wouldn't it make more sense for Yom Kippur to come before Rosh Hashanah? If Yom Kippur is all about improving ourselves and our relationship with others and with God, wouldn't it be better to go through that first before Judgment Day? If we want the best judgment possible, wouldn't it be best to work on ourselves as much as possible before the judgment? Why does Yom Kippur come after the Day of Judgment? What's even more interesting is that on Rosh Hashanah, we're actually not even supposed to mention our shortcomings or sins or make any personal requests whatsoever to God. You'll find almost no mention of repentance or sin in the prayer liturgy on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Surely if it's the Day of Judgment, then that's the very day we should want to repent. But there's none of that on Rosh Hashanah. That only happens nine days later on Yom Kippur. Why? The answer is this. In Judaism, we believe God created the world in order that all of humanity would come to recognize him and have a relationship with him. Rosh Hashanah is known as the birthday of creation, but it doesn't actually commemorate the creation of the world, but the creation of humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, for humanity is the ultimate purpose of creation. And on Rosh Hashanah, God is thinking about humanity and the extent to which each individual is working towards his plan. And God is asking a question on every individual on Rosh Hashanah, which is, do I continue to create you and sustain you this year, or do I not? And so from our perspective, before we get to the nitty gritty details of what we're doing with our lives, what we need to work on, what we need, we actually need to step back and ask, okay, so God has his purpose for the world, but what am I doing with that? How am I living with my life? How do I fit into all of this? What do I really care about? What am I living for? Who am I living for? The question we need to be asking ourselves is, who are we? Not what have we done, but what have we become as a result of what we have done? When you enter a destination into your sat-nav, you first need to know where you're going before it says turn around or take a right. Only once you've established if you actually want to be a part of God's plan for humanity can you then know what you need to change. Only once you know your mission statement can you understand the changes you need to make. You can have all sorts of problems with any relationship, but before dealing with the specific issues you have to ask more basic questions. Are you still in touch? Do you still love each other? Once you have those answers, then you can start to put right what's wrong. But if there's no relationship there, there's nothing to put right, nothing to talk about. 
You know, personally, I often find Rosh Hashanah comes around way too fast each year. And by the time it comes, I feel like I could have done more work on myself in the lead up to it. But I think God understands that we human beings find repentance hard. And that perhaps for many, Rosh Hashanah can come up on us as a bit of a shock. And maybe this is partly why on the actual day of judgment, God says, actually, let's just put all those details that you're worrying about to one side and come back to them on Yom Kippur. For now, let's just be real. We're not going to talk about mistakes you've made with your relationship with me or your fellow human beings. We're not going to talk about what you need in your life. Let's just talk about us. Rosh Hashanah is a day of clarifying our purpose. Read the prayer service and you'll see it for yourself. It's about asking ourselves in front of God, am I a part of your people? Do I recognize your absolute authority over creation and over my life? And do I want to have a relationship with you? Once we've figured that out, then as we move on to Yom Kippur, we can start fixing the details. I'm Oli Anisfeld and you're watching JTV and we wish you a happy, a healthy and a sweet new year. Thank you for joining us today and listening to JTV Podcasts. You can find more podcasts from JTV, including interviews with Rabbi Manus Friedman, Dennis Prager, Rabbi Dr. Kiva Tatz, and many more, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Just search for JTV Podcasts with Oli Hannesfeld. Don't forget to subscribe on the JTV YouTube channel for hundreds of videos on Jewish philosophy, Israel, Jewish wisdom, and much, much more. Please consider supporting us so we can continue to grow. Just visit paypal.me forward slash JTV channel. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.